parents strongly caution, the following programs are intended for mature audiences over the age of 18. These programs may contain intense violence, sexual situations, coarse language, and suggestive dialogue. Hi, this is Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, and you are listening to the Toonami Faithful Podcast. Greetings from Section 9. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Toonami Faithful Podcast. My name is Jose Argumento, and with me tonight is... The founder of ToonamiFaithful.com, Pope Screw. And... Here is Samurai, Derail Maddox. And... Sketch. And tonight we have a really, really good show. Darrell and I just finished up our interview with Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, uh, who is the voice of Motoko Kusanagi, which continues our ongoing Ghost in the Shell month, which uh, I really, really, really like Ghost in the Shell, in case you can't, if you haven't noticed. And I got on the interview, bitches. I know. I, I think they noticed. <laughs> <laughs> or they will notice. Yeah, if you don't know it by now, Jesus, guys, where have you been? Um, so that'll that'll take us for our show th- this week. But first, before we get to that, we do have some cool stuff to talk about, such as the news and, of course, the Attack on Titan recap. Attack on Titan, Episode 2, That Day, The Fall of Shinganshima, Part 2. So, we uh, find ourselves with that priest that we talked about last week. <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> um, yeah, he shows up, uh, and he gets eaten. Real good. Mm-hmm. And then we just see, you know, random, random people who are not the main characters biting the dust, as they're prone to do. Because they are not main characters. And we follow... Uh, okay, this is one actually serious moment here. But this is actually one of my favorite moments in the entire show. When little Aaron, uh, you know, confronts Hans about, we could have saved her. We almost saved her. And Hans basically says to him, look, you la- your mother died because you lacked the strength. But I'm responsible for her death because I lacked the courage. And it's just, and he's crying and he's kind of losing his shit over this. And he's going to, but no matter what, he's going to save these kids because that's all he can do. And it, that, that, I like that moment so much because it's very poignant to show that, you know, this society has become complacent, but in the, in the, in the view of actual trial and tribulation they are so panicked and so scared that they really are not prepared for anything that that the titans can throw at them and so they make their way to the inner gate and they aaron and everybody's on the boat and luckily and you know they're they're gonna get away uh unfortunately there's an armored titan he appears out of nowhere cannons do not stop him and he rams right through the gate probably killing countless people. But our main characters, Aaron, Armin, uh, Mikasa, and Armin's grandfather get away. And they, 
you know, are inside the inner wall. They, they have to deal with, you know, kind of a refugee situation where they have been forced out of their homes. They have nowhere to go, essentially. They have to be handed out food every once in a while, and there's not enough food to feed everybody. And Aaron actually confronts a soldier about this, that they shouldn't be treated this way, that they should be treated better, that we're worth more than that, we're not cattle. Um, you know, usual Aaron. And eventually he gets dragged. Armin has to talk the soldier from beating this little child's ass. And Armin does because he's Armin and he's smart. And they uh, they basically regroup somewhere and uh, Aaron refuses to take handouts. And Armin, you know, is like, look, you need to. This is food. This is all we get. This is the only way that we can live. Because we're weak, we're useless, and Aaron's just like, we're not weak, we're not useless, and Mikasa kind of shuts him up and tells him, we are weak, we are useless. No, Mikasa punched the fuck out of his ass. And she she punched him, yes, but like... He deserved that shit. And he deserved it, because he was being unreasonable by all hell. He's being a little bitch, man. But to be fair, his mom did just die. Yeah, I know that man, but still, he was still being a bitch, man, even during that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand where he's coming from, but he needed to be punched in the face. Exactly. Um, it was warranted. No, it was warranted, absolutely. But the uh, the big thing about, you know, he she basically tells him, like, look, live if you don't want to be so goddamn weak. Live. And um, through this, unfortunately, Armin's grandfather, among among tons of other people, are forced out to go fight the Titans because there's not enough food for everybody. And what essentially this actually did is just send all these people off to slaughter. They didn't kill any Titans. They just killed all these people. They were used as basically what we call cannon fodder. Yeah. It's a very simple military technique. Well, tactic anyway in the first place because... We usually don't use it on people. Uh, um, back in, if you look at early military history, man, like any soldier that was lowly and didn't have any real good skills. Not today. (laughs) Uh, not really. Not today, but back in the day, you you, you, were, you, the cannon fodder of today is drones. These are people. Yeah. But you get what I'm trying to say. No, I absolutely do. (laughs) I'm just putting it from that military perspective of back in the day, man, which is what you kind of look at them. And and keep that military part in mind because that. It's not a spoiler, but it will come up later when exactly. regarding the situation. Um, and Ar- Armin's grandfather is dead. Armin wants revenge. Aaron wants revenge. Mikasa wants revenge. They all enlist when they're finally old enough to join the army. And uh, that's basically where we leave them. Uh, and everybody's voices finally sound their age. Thank God. Actually, you know what? I will say this. The the second episode came out a lot better in regards to the child voices uh, than the first one. I felt like the first one, it was a little forced between Bryce and and Josh. But this one, it felt a little more natural. Maybe I'm just used to it, but it, it sounded not as jarring to me that, oh, this is these are actual children talking. It's not Bryce and, and Josh talking anymore. Oh, I agree. The performances were better in the second one. Yeah, I feel like... I don't know what happened, but I feel like they... In the, in the second episode, they figured out, oh, here's where my voice actually needs to be. Either that or they stopped pretending to be children. <laughs> One of the two happened. Dude, after that situation in Shingo China, 
they had to stop being children. Well, I mean, voice-wise. But yeah, you're right. They did have to stop being kids. They had. I haven't Aaron been a child since up. I was eight years old. <laughs> well, no, Darrell, you, you laugh and you make a joke. and But that's true, though. Yeah, Aaron has to grow up. This episode is about Aaron growing up at least a little bit to realize, dude, you are weak. Stop saying things like this and actually grow up and do something about it. And the way to do something about it is to bide your time and live. And I think that's a very, very important message because, you know, Aaron is all gung-ho and wants, wants revenge immediately. Yeah, you can't always get revenge right then and there. You have to plot it. it yeah, know, seriously, Aaron. You think Batman went and got revenge right away? No, he took years of training before he put that mask on. Damn and right. he didn't even use that for revenge. He just did it because it was right. I'm sure some comic book person is going to be like, that's wrong. Fuck with the comic person. Comic there are various interpretations it. of Batman that yeah. it's more about revenge, but yeah. Batman's not about revenge. He's about justice. Um, but yeah, Han Aaron just wants revenge. <laughs> well, yeah, he does. I talked about this earlier, but what did you guys think about the, the moment with Hans at the open? I thought that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's. I, I just said it's my favorite moment of the entire series, but like, what what does that scene actually say to you? You know, Hannes actually came to the realization, man, that out of all his time as being a soldier, man, he actually realized that he was useless at that point, man, because they had been so complacent, as you said, you know, we're not dealing with a titan. That when he actually saw one and confronted one, man, he said that he became a coward. He lacked the courage, man, to go face this thing because he knew in the face of this enemy right now the way I am, I would more than likely Hunters would have died, man, if he tried to take on that Titan. It was just inevitable. So in order to make some kind of amends and even somewhat to repent for what he did, he just got Mikasa and Aaron out of there like Carla asked him in the first place. You know, it's something that he's going to have to deal with with the rest of his life, man. But, hey, he did own up to the fact that, hey, I fell short. And, hey, that's human. That's just, that's just a human flaw right there. He was human. And he admitted to that flaw that he was a weak coward at that point. Well, not so much weak, but he was just a coward. Yeah, he actually doesn't say he was weak. No, he just said he, he, said he, was, he coward. was a coward. Yeah. He, but I, he told Aaron that he was too small and weak to do anything. But he was even worse because he was a coward. He he had the ability to do something. He but just, he couldn't act on it. Because he couldn't he was, act on it, exactly. You know, the fear overcame him, man. And, you know, to be honest with you, man, in the battlefield situation, man, a soldier who's never been in that type of situation and is not battle-hardened, they freeze up. And I have seen it myself. Guys have have freezed up, man. You know, literally I had to smack them across the head and say, move your ass. So, yeah, Paul, I, I want to ask you this because you've you're you're caught up, and um, what do you what do you think about this environment? Because uh, you're you're new to this show, yes. So, what do you think about this environment that the show is trying to portray of humanity as cattle? I hate to use a line from the show, but but what do you what do you think of that? Well, you know, it, it seems like it's kind of fucked up that you know all these guys all these humans have to be in like this i mean i assume that it's not really huge it's probably a small part of the world 
And, you know, they have to stay in this quote-unquote pen, so to speak, so that way they don't get eaten by these titans. And now, like, all of a sudden, well, basically they're fucked because now they just got, they just uh, penetrated it and we're, <laughs> they're, they're pretty much got to figure out a way to, to just face them and kill them now. Well, actually, as you'll as you'll see later on, well, in, in the second, we lost it. We lost that whole part. It's gone. Uh, yeah. We can't get that one back. Right. So, you know, basically, we've we've lost that wall. Basically. Oh, okay. Time. So there's different walls. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. We've lost Is... that that defensive position. Uh, if if Darrell was speaking militarily. Yeah, basically it's like a it's like a black eye, man, because you literally have to retreat, you know. And oh yeah, that, there's nothing they can really do. There's nothing they can really do. I mean, how are you supposed to defend against these huge ass giants that basically just everything that you've tried to throw it at them doesn't work, you know? I mean, it's like it's a huge, huge, huge blow to your ego, man, when you have to right. retreat from the enemy. Well, to correct Paul real quick, not everything doesn't hurt them. You'll see well, that soon. There is a weakness right. to these guys, but it's okay. a difficult one. It's right. not it's yeah. not easily won. You can't just fire a cannon at these things. You got to find a <laughs> Even if you could out. aim properly. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I'm de- well, I'm just speaking from the, the, the episodes I've seen so far. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can't yeah, just sit there. You know, it, it seems right now, you know, it's like, okay, well... They seem relatively there. unstoppable. Right. Well. Though I would like to know how the hell they built those walls with these titans around, because that's one of those that things where you're like, a wait a minute, question. wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did you, how did you build these walls without getting eaten? <laughs> Were they just magically appear, or... Well, if you remember what, in the first yeah. episode, there's, an, there's a, a preacher guy who says they are from God. Mm. I, I guess. Which really means they're from the government, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything because I know that I know what the walls actually are because I, someone spoiled it for me. Um, but it's interesting to me that people would assume this is kind of off topic, but people would assume that the walls are a a a structure that is so beyond humanity's reach that. There's, there's no other explanation than a divine presence. And that, to right. me, it kind of reeks back into actual history where, you know, we, we have people who think the pyramids or the Sphinx or Stonehenge or any of these things were not built by humans, that they were built by aliens or have a divine presence to them that, you know, because of our own failings as humans, uh, we cannot actually achieve some of these goals. But if you think about it, building a wall granted it's a big wall but building a wall is not that <laughs> difficult <laughs> it's not that difficult in the grand scheme of things though oh no definitely how not how does that compare to the great wall of china that's what i was about to say man <laughs> i was going to say great that too well the great wall of china is long it's not so much high compared to this that's wall that's true it is it's not that high i mean look it's not it's not short but it's not like attack on titan high but of course, yeah. there's buildings now that are way higher than that wall of Attack on Titan, way higher. So you know, it's a it's an interesting thing to mull over. That's an interesting comparison that you made about the pyramids and other such structures that people think yeah. there was some outside 
presence besides humanity that made it possible. Very interesting. All right. So I think that'll kind of wrap us up on Attack on Titan recaps. Uh, we are going to start taking feedback on these, so start sending them to Toonami Talkback. We've gotten pretty positive feedback on the segment, so I think we're going to keep it. Uh, this will run into Space Dandy. So I was going to say, like, so we're going to have to do two now. We're going to have two of these, so the show's going to get a little bit longer, but I'd like to remind everybody, despite the show getting longer, it's still really easy to get around. Uh, now... We do an AAC feed. We have switched over. We're, we're no longer doing MP3s. We do an AAC feed, and we list a time code for you in the description on the show notes. So please keep that in mind. If you want to skip around, feel free, man. We're going to make this show a lot easier for you, and we, we are expanding the show a little bit. But it's, and I uh, do like that feature, by the way. Yeah, I think it's very useful. I mean, it's something, it that one, it's something that the One Piece podcast has been doing for years, and we've adopted it as well. Um, and we think that our friends, uh, we think that our audience, uh, should, should try it out when you get, when you guys get used to that, you, you'll be like, all right, this, this makes a lot of sense. And for right. those of you that are on Stitcher, because Stitcher only does MP3s, uh, we do list the time codes in the show notes so you can easily skip through and hear what you want. Uh, so we hope that that doesn't affect, uh, we don't, we, we don't think the, the length will affect our viewers too much, but just so you know, it's going to be really easy to get around this show from now on. Uh, and without further ado, I think we're, it's, it's time to get into the news. What do you gentlemen think? Let's, get Let's into do it. it. From Facebook, Twitter, and the official Toonami Tumblr, this is Toonami News, powered by ToonamiFaithful.com. Attack on Titan comes in at 1,341,000. Bleach comes in at 1,142,000. Space Dandy is 869,000. Naruto Shippuden, 812,000. One Piece, 742,000. Blue Exorcist, 803,000. Black Lagoon, 671,000. The last week of Ghost in the Shell, 536,000. Naruto, 654,000. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, 553,000. Samurai Jack, 457,000. Star Wars The Clone Wars, or a Tasty Coma Wife, <laughs> 503,000, and Symbionic Titan ends the night with 430,000. Those are your ratings for May 3rd, 2014. Uh, pretty good night. Some ups, some downs, but, you know, I, I know everybody's looking at the Space Dandy numbers. I know everybody's looking at those. Uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, because we know that these are reruns. It is kind of hurting everything behind it, but it's still... These are still great numbers. These are still mm -hmm. overall very good numbers. I think it's important to note that only people that actually pay attention to what Toonami does as much as we do actually knew that Space Dandy was going to be at 1230. Yeah. No on-air promotion of that at all is bound to cause some kind of hiccup. Plus, you know, the, we're still increasing in 18 to 34 and 18 to 49 demographics, uh, mm -hmm. and increasing by a double digit. So the, the demographics that are big money, we're still hitting. So no, no alarms need to go off. You know, I know everybody likes to go panic, 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 but uh, we're, we're hitting that night was also pretty bad for Adult Swim in general. But we're still think... hitting very hard. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 
I'm, I'm just pointing out that Attack on Titan got close to the same ratings as Family Guy that night. Plus, um, Cinco de Mayo was on Monday this year, so people probably went out and um, drank. Right. L- like me, because that was my birthday drink. I was getting my <laughs> birthday drink on. Lucky you. Birthday drink. Oh, I forgot to go get a beer. Fuck. <laughs> but you don't like beer, Jose. I found one I do like. Oh. I found one. And it's, it's, I forgot what it's called, but it's apples red or something. It doesn't taste like beer. It tastes like apple cider. It's very oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard yeah. of Red that. apples ale? Yes. That what that's what it is. Yeah. That is the one beer I like. Pussy. I'm sorry. This is the one beer I like. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a great promotion right there. <laughs> red apples ale. It's the one beer I like. <laughs> I, that, <laughs> and you're a pussy if you like it. Yep. I still will order an apple teeny over over that I though. Sorry. Sort of, kind of like Blue Moon. Oh, of, I'm sure there'll of. be pictures at MomoCon. I'm sure. Oh, there won't. I don't. I don't think I can afford that much. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's get into the actual ratings yeah, from I'll last year very quickly. Uh, Boondocks one million one hundred forty-eight thousand. And by the way, this is Cinco de Mayo on the night, so we're going to also notice low numbers. One million one hundred forty-eight thousand. Bleach one million one hundred thirty-eight thousand. Naruto nine hundred seventy-seven thousand. Soul Eater nine hundred twenty-five thousand. Thundercats eight hundred twenty-two thousand. IGPX seven hundred seventy-six thousand. Ewadaka seven seven hundred thirty-five thousand. Tenchimio GXP seven hundred ten thousand. Titan, uh, Symbionic Titan, I should say. There's too many Titan shows now. Symbionic Titan six hundred fifty nine thousand, Brotherhood six hundred twenty five thousand, Bebop six hundred two thousand, Inuyasha six hundred twenty three thousand, and Inuyasha ends the night with six hundred and ten thousand. Those are your ratings for May fifth, two thousand thirteen. Uh, yeah, for the most part, we were down from last year, but again, we went up in the the parts that count, which is demographics. We hit our target demographics. Right. So I think people need to. Not not freak out. We're okay. Everything's fine. Um, we'll let you know when it's time to freak out. I'm sure Toonami will let you know when it's time to freak out. <laughs> yes, they will. Like until if then, if we don't, they will. <laughs> yes. Yes, but until then, just keep calm and kill a time. Yeah. Not that that's a thing that's easy to do. Anyways, uh, very quickly, let's go through the trending. Uh, Toonami, Armor Titan, Eren. Mikasa, Titan, Ichigo, Orihime, Space Dandy, Luffy, Sanji, Blue Exorcist, Shimei, Black Lagoon, Revy, Beware of the Batman, Naruto, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, or FMA Brotherhood, I should say, Samurai Jack, and Symbiotic Titan were your U.S. trends. And worldwide, trending was Armored Titan and Sanji. As your, for, for your mobile apps, we have another long list. Attack on Titan, Armored Titan... Uh, Eren, Titan, Bleach, Ichigo, Orihime, Space Dandy, Luffy, Sanji, Black Lagoon, Revy, Beware the Batman, and Symbiotic Titan. So, we had a really good trending this week. Like, especially this week. Like, we trended a lot. Did really well. I mean, yeah, it's been been a while since we've had, like, Mm -hmm. a complete night of trends, so... It's good to see that it's actually going back up. So hopefully we'll see uh, something once college. Star Wars did not trend, so we didn't have. It hasn't ha- been trending, yeah. Strange. No, uh, it wasn't a perfect night. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if I said that, but I'm just saying like it's it's good to see that been more trends while. are happening. Yeah. So it, it would be nice to see some perfect trends over the summer. Go Batman. Well, the thing that we haven't seen a lot of is worldwide trends as of late, and we got two of them in there this week. 
Yes. Yeah, we have been lacking a little bit on the worldwide. I mean, we don't need really a complete list of full worldwide trends. As long as it's U.S., that's that's what matters. Yeah, U.S. is obviously the big one because yeah. it's the only mm-hmm. place Tsunami broadcast minus exactly. Asia. <laughs> but worldwide is still impressive, though. Yeah, worldwide is definitely impressive. Right. Um, so, uh, pretty good job trending. There are some interesting notes. Uh, a lot of them were that Toonami News uh, was responsible for a lot of these tweets. Yes, I saw that, actually. <laughs> um, and, of course, fellow voice actors and directors uh, Bryce Pappenbrook and Mike McFarland uh, also were responsible for a couple. And yep. that's awesome because those guys do live tweet the shows, and they are both really in love with their shows, with their shows as they should be. Yes. Oh, he, uh, Mike, actually retweeted the um, the trailer for the third episode. Yeah. Um, and apparently, Attack on Titan is taking the place of Dandy being at eleven thirty and all. It's going to be getting the weekly promo treatment from now on. Yeah. So I- I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see both though at some point. Well, I don't. I think they'll drop Attack on Titan if they have to. They'll drop Attack on Titan weekly promos for Space Dandy because they have a little more invested in Space Dandy than yeah. they do. By then, True. people will get the gist of Attack on Titan. True, but, but I think they they may do both. It depends on how how everything how the whole agreement is too. I th- well, uh, no, 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 yeah. no. Agreement. Has and, nothing and you're to do right. With it. No, no, no. You are right, though. Space Dandy is probably more important. Than they Attack could. They might be able to keep up 30 second promos for both because they've kind of divvied out responsibilities on those a little bit such as having the Funimation voice actor uh, what his name escapes me R. Bruce Elliott R. Bruce Elliott yeah they have R. Bruce Elliott doing the narration for those Space Dandy promos and they don't really have narration in the Attack on Titan promos right. so they- might be able to put those together pretty fast. It's just a matter of real estate, I would think. The only thing they actually divvy is they get someone else to do a narration. Right. Um, yeah, they do all the video. They they still have to do all the video. So it's actually probably... I don't want to say more of a burden, because it's not that big of a burden to get someone to record something halfway across the world. Um, but it is... You know, it, it does take a little more time than say, get Dana in the studio and just have her do it. Not that much more time, but, you know, it, yeah. it exists. Yeah. Right. True. Unless they have a setup Possibly. that is way more superior than ours, which I don't doubt either. I don't yeah. doubt that either. Yeah, it could be. I think they probably record those promos in batches. Yeah, they probably they probably do big record sessions and get them all out of the way. Right. Um, so, you know, it depends on how, how long those take for those guys. I mean, I don't, I don't want to dismiss the hardworking editors at Toonami, but mm-hmm. if they can just bang those out real quick, then we can probably keep both. Right. Um, the other thing we'll I guess see. we should talk about, and I, I'll kind of refrain from this one because I didn't see it, uh, and I haven't caught up. So what did you guys think about Beware of the Batman? And before you ask, we're not doing recaps of that show. Sorry. Are you talking about the short that was that played during it? Either one of them. I didn't see either one. I think I think we should talk about the short because that was kind of like the the thing that people were kind of surprised by because we didn't really. Well, shoot, guys! It seems I gotta go. Oh, well, 
That's uh, Sketch's cue to leave because we're talking about Batman. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I, actually better than I remembered it. It's, <laughs> it's good. People should watch it, but I have a prior engagement. All right. So. Bye, Sketch. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Get the fuck off. You're done. you fired. Okay, before we st- talk about this, Darrell, did you see it? Yes, I did. I like the okay. short better, dude. All right. All right, we'll know, get I, I enjoy the show too, but the short, you know, it was just, it was just something pretty awesome, man. You know, nice little animation. Yeah. Lots of violence, like I likes. <laughs> I like violence. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, there was a Batman short. It was, I guess it was, I guess we could count it as DC Nation. Um, well, it was originally from DC Nation, correct? Right. Um, yeah. I don't think it. I don't think it played. On TV, though, I know it play. I know it was all over the internet, um, and I've actually seen it a couple times, so I know uh, basically what it is. But um, to just give like a synopsis of basically what it is is, uh, some woman gets kidnapped by some. It looks like I, I don't recognize the character. I, I don't know, Jarrell. Do you recognize the character? Who it is? Um, damn, man, I'm trying to remember. I can see it in my head, but. I yeah, I, I don't remember who it is, and, and I'm sure somebody will, will tell us yes. after listening to this. But um, basically, they kidnap this girl for some odd reason, and Batman comes in and kicks both guys' asses, take and gets the girl, and says one line, and that's it. <laughs> it's basically what it is. Um, Classic Batman. For those of you that haven't seen it, and the reason why we don't have, like, for example, Caboose didn't record it, <clears throat> is because it's actually up on YouTube. If um, you just search out, um, I believe, Batman short. It should come up for you. Um, there's actually two of them. There's another one, which I'm hoping that they play too as well. Um, this one was good. I mean, Kevin Conroy was in it. He only had like one one line, which he probably got paid a lot of money for. But, you know, that was about it. I mean, if you so if you guys want to see it, um, we can actually post it up. Um, but uh, if you want to just find it on YouTube, just put in Batman short, and it should come up for you. It's one of the uh, 70. 75, 75th anniversary um, shorts that they did. So, um, well, I, I actually saw a little bit of Beware the Batman. So, can we get into that now? Sure. Okay. So, okay, let's talk about the CGI first thing, because I remember when this show was coming out, this was a huge point of contention, mm-hmm. because for whatever reason. CGI is on television is just perceived as this bad thing. I don't I don't get it. Like and Star Wars went through the same kind of hazing. Right. But people got used to Star Wars. Yeah. But but even when it came on Toonami after being on the on the air for 5 seasons, when it came to Toonami, people were still like, what the hell is this? What what's with CGI Star Wars? I don't like this. Well, yeah. I mean, I but that was of- that was to be because anime weeaboos i get that yeah. yeah it was because of these anime people that just are you know they they they're they don't want american cartoons on the block and i i can understand that you want to have more anime but you know toonami is not you know just it's not an anime. anime it's an action it cartoon, block, cartoon so. block well the thing i wanted to touch upon the cgi though is that mm-hmm. why for batman especially it seems that cgi was this big bad thing um i mean we've had a lot of great batman series right and they've all been 2d animated why the big uh, kerfuffle over over the cgi what do you guys think 
I just think some people just wasn't ready for it, man, and they feel yeah, I would agree. No, in any case, I would say they felt like it probably just violated the territory with Batman because most of the time you either see it as a live action film or as a cartoon, but. To be honest with you, and CGI is still just fine because hell, the first time I saw anything really in CGI was actually a reboot, man. Well, yeah, that's the thing I don't understand. You know, with so this, I don't get it. I don't understand the segma about CGI on television because we've had reboot, we've had we've had Star Wars at this point, and you know, dragons and all this stuff on on TV. Um, I mean, what is with the the stigma when Batman suddenly goes? CGI does I, it does it have to be 2D because the original couple of Batman series were in 2D? I mean, maybe maybe that's what it is. I I, I remember like a lot of people weren't happy with the idea of when this first came out with uh, Alfred being like uh, like kind of Batman's sidekick kind of thing going on, and you know I, I didn't really see anything wrong with the CGI. That's more what I heard. Because a lot of people are like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about Alfred, uh, you know, helping Batman defeat his enemies, you know, kind of thing. But, um, I mean, I, I think I, I would have to agree with you, Jose. I think it's more like the 2D thing. Like, people are more used to seeing Batman in 2D and not, like, this CGI environment. Um, it doesn't take away from him at all. I mean, it, it's it doesn't look terrible. It doesn't look bad, in my opinion, but... You know, I think it's just people where you just have to get used to it. That's all. I mean, like one thing about this Batman is I like the way that Alfred actually takes a more proactive role now instead of being so damn passive and like a yes man. Alfred did actually kick some ass in this damn series. Well, to be fair, in the defense of Alfred, Alfred was never a yes man. He was pretty much the sassiest butler ever. Right. He would sass Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I wasn't paying attention to all that, man. Like, he would help Batman out to reach his goals, but, like, he expressed his opinion. He'd be like, sir, you're being an idiot. Stop it. <laughs> kind of like what we tell Paul sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, shut up. Love <laughs> you, <W>. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Only sometimes. But, I, you know, the thing that I like about Alfred, Alfred was a CIA. Well, I mean, well, someone I correct me if I'm wrong. No, 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 you're right. Think- no, you're right. CIA. Oh, well, it's kind of been. It kind of goes back and forth. Like you hear CIA, then you hear something else, and it's just now because like, I think he was part of the SAS. You know, as far as with Britain, because he is British. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, but it would have been the British version. In yeah, regards yeah. to you know whichever adaptation we're talking about, it's not uncommon for Alfred to have had some kind of special forces or secret agency training. Oh no, definitely not. So I don't so, think of it as a big deal that Alfred you know helps out in such a way but at the same time I, I i think it's a little weird because i'm not used to seeing alfred actually right. engage in combat yeah and and, and i don't think and this is a younger alfred too we're not yeah. used to that as well so yeah my bad alfred was mi6 my bad yeah, well, there we go. that's what i was thinking yeah yeah okay yeah. the thing that I, I think about this offer, though. He reminds me a lot of Norman from Big O. And I know Big O already takes a lot of inspiration from Batman. Yeah. But there's a moment where Norman takes out a machine gun out of nowhere. And I keep thinking, Alfred is going to do that in this version at some point. I, I don't know why. I just think, I think so. I think I, he I would think just he do that. Does. He actually think, does? Oh, great. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Batman's ripping off a Big O. Spoiler alert. If I remember correctly, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, I, I think like 
he's in the Batcave at one point and is remote controlling the Batmobile for some odd reason. I don't remember what that episode was all about. Oh, but. well, I mean, actually take out a minigun. Like, Norman actually... No, I think there's 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 an actual episode where he, like, like takes out a gun and starts shooting. Yeah, I ever had a shotgun, dude. Yeah. Dear God, so... <laughs> Um, so I thought he did it like a boss, man. But anyways, right. I'll, I'll let you two riff on Batman for a little bit. What else did you think about it? Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing wrong with the series, man. I mean, I'm actually enjoying it. I'm glad that we're going to get to see all the episodes because, hell, they cut it off like midway, man. I was like, what the fuck? You know, well, I was actually enjoying it. I, I'm Not so much about the series, but I find it interesting that... DC allowed them to put the short on TV just for the fact that a lot of people have been critical of Toonami about saying, oh, you and DC don't have a good relationship. You know, and then all of a sudden now we have this short that hasn't been on TV show up, you know. So I find that really interesting that they're doing these things with Toonami. So. Well, if maybe I, there's if I may kind of like the DC, to your point real quick, yeah, uh, about what they said about DC, I think people misinterpret that as we don't get along. I think yeah. it was more uh, DC and Toonami are aiming at separate audiences right now, and while DC maybe wants to go for the same audience um, in their own way, uh, they're just afraid of putting some of these shows that were intended for children and giving them maybe a little bit of a bad name. I see where DC's coming from. I never thought they didn't get along. I just Can I, can I interrupt you real quick? Go for I, it. I, I'm sorry, but I, I have to disagree with you, man, because DC, especially with these movies that are coming out, man, like they are, they are going hardcore towards adults, man. It's like full steam ahead, screw any children. We're going straight at these these adults because well, I know you're talking about the movies, but I, I mean stuff like young justice, beware of the Batman. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, see, yeah. Young justice. I mean, it, it, while it, it was kids, I felt like it was more of a more mature kids audience than to go to like what cartoon network was actually aiming for now these days, because let's put it, let's, let's face it. If you put young justice up against an adventure time, <laughs> you know, Adventure Time hits exactly what Cartoon Network's doing. Young Justice, uh, more of a mature audience. I wouldn't say adult. I would say more mature kids, more like teens. I would say more adolescent, man. Right, right. Early, mid-teens. So I would say, I mean, if you're talking about like Green Lantern, yeah, that was was definitely directed towards kids. Um, This one, I mean, again, like Beware the Batman... I understand that they were trying to go for kids, but again, it, it kind of was like a darker version that maybe kids shouldn't have been watching kind of deal. I don't know. It, it just, it, it seems like DC is trying to hit the audience they know is going to buy their stuff rather than trying to hit these kids because it's been a futile effort, you know? Well, I mean, look, you, you, DC is a kids brand and an adult brand. I think that right. they've they've made that very clear. They have a comic book line now for kids, finally, um, and they do have you know their kids shows. And you know, no right. matter how maturely written they are, they are kids shows. Um, right. And I think that's great. I think though that they were cautious with approaching, say, Toonami, which is now an Adult Swim, mm-hmm. with some of these shows that they originally intended for children because. 
you know, once you, it's easy for, you know, a show, it's probably very easy for a show to go from Cartoon Network to Adult Swim. Yeah. Very difficult for it to go back. And if, let's say, you know, I I know kids shouldn't be watching Adult Swim, but let's say all of a sudden there's an influx of children that they did not see before when it was originally airing. If if they get that audience, they've kind of fucked themselves because it's not like they can take that show and right. just put it back on Cartoon Network. They're kind of fucked. You, you, well, see, that's the thing. Like, there, there's this. You know, we've talked about this before. There's kind of like this balancing act that we have to. Like, you can't just put Samurai Jack on Cartoon Network and then put it on Adult Swim. You know, we we've had that discussion. You can't do that because then it gets confusing, and then you have, you know, crossover that you may not want. Yeah, because then you um, have kids who stay up until 4 o'clock in the right. morning, and they sit through Black Lagoon of all shows to get oh, to God. it. <laughs> or Attack on Titan, or Space Dandy. I could, I could just see a kid just sitting in the chair like, Mommy, what did I just watch? Yeah, all these shows that are absolutely <laughs> not intended for children. Like, these shows exactly. were clearly intended for adults. For a show, even though it's maturely written and something that adults can enjoy, right. was intended for children. You know, it's, it's, oh. a, it's a difficult... You're right, it's a very difficult balancing act. And, and it's really hard, because see, the, the thing is, is... I want to say, like, it's been a while since DC has come out, besides Beware the Batman. It's kind of hard to see where DC's going now, because all we see is the movies. And I've, I've reviewed two of them, and I can tell you right now that, you know, Justice League War, definitely not towards kids. Well, actually, Justice League War, I mean, I guess you could let your kid watch it, but I would not suggest it, because there is swearing in there. Um, and Superman is, well... <laughs> He's not the typical Superman, let's put it that way. Um, and then Son of Batman, which I recently just reviewed. Um, I mean, there is a lot of blood. A lot of, like... I mean, spoiler alert, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but Damien gets stabbed in both arms up against the wall, and it's and he's bleeding. Like, I'm sitting there going... Uh, I'm not letting my kid watch this. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, this line of DC movies has existed since... I want to say 2008 now. So it's been almost six years that they've started doing these movies for adults. But at the same time, they've also had these shows for kids. I mean, Young Justice, Green Lantern, uh, of course, Beware the Batman. And I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch that have happened. um, um, Batman Brave and Bold. Yes, there we go. You read my mind. Yep. And a couple of others that that I'm sure I'm forgetting that they've also had. You know, do do they completely want to turn their back on that audience or are... It's a difficult balancing act. I don't. I don't envy DC at all. I would say, to be honest with you, like, I, I don't. I don't want them to necessarily just alienate their their kids' audience. But for me, you know, I think being a business person, I see more money in adults because they've grown up with Batman, and they see they they want to see this kind of stuff that they're putting out right now. Well, hold on. Why did they grow up with Batman? Because they were series. They because were they made shows for kids. True. So you you have to do both. But you also have to understand, like that first the first season of Batman the Animated Series was kind of dark. It was, <laughs> but it was. Absolute, but there again, it was again, absolutely appropriate then. for children. Right, exactly. but that back then it was appropriate. Back then it was definitely appropriate. That's the thing. Like, Still is. A lot of things that are put out these days are not necessarily appropriate for what. You know the the kids. How do I say this? The not not like Cartoon Network, but 
let's say like you know some council out there that that is like okay we need to make sure that you know Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network you know do this for kids you know their their version of a kids show is different version from what necessarily comes out you know Bat- Batman Brave and the Bold is a perfect example that one was definitely gauged towards kids you know that one that one right there hit the mark for kids uh, Green Lantern definitely hit the mark for kids. Um, yeah, Young Justice. I mean, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, no, I get what I, you're saying, but yeah. you know, what what I'm suggesting is that it's a very tricky act to have Batman in one oh, show, is. and then have Batman again in the other show. Right. You know, well, because single- it's it's the same character. I mean, it could be different continuity or whatever the fuck you want to say, nerds. But <laughs> uh, it's still Batman. Right. It's still well, Superman. It's still you know, these are the same characters. Right. Well, and that's we'll think a, about that's a tricky act. Think about this though, too. You have Kevin Conroy that comes in every once in a while, and but he mainly does the the uh, the video game now. Um, and then you have, um, God, I gotta think of his name off the top of my head. But the new guy that's doing Batman, you have him too. Troy so. Baker. Yeah, Troy Baker. There you go. Um, you have him now doing these this Batman continuity. So. I don't right. know. I, I again, it's a. We don't have the answers, is what we're trying to say. Right. I think we've just. I think we. I think. I we've think we've just talked around in a circle, which is fine. Yes, it's fine. But uh, we don't have the answer for this one, guys. No, we, we just, don't have. An answer. We think it's very interesting uh, that DC would. Uh, we think DC is a company to watch right now in regards to tsunami. In regards to their movies, they're a company to watch, but for a completely different reason. In that, what the fuck is going on over at Warner Brothers? Anyways. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. I know. I would really like to be on those meetings. Anyways. uh, So, I think that's about all we can say. Let's move on into what you've all been waiting for. And hopefully didn't use the AAC feed to just skip to it. Uh, Our interview with the lovely and wonderful Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome. And we have a very special guest continuing our Ghost in the Shell Month coverage on the Tsunami Faithful Podcast. She is the voice of Motoko Kusanagi herself, here live with us is Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Uh, we're doing great. I'm sure everybody responded great. <laughs> Good. No one cares what they think. Oh, no, we do. We do. We do. Absolutely. We love our audience. Stop antagonizing them, girl. I'm sorry. You know I'm abusive towards them. You're going to be trouble, I can tell right now. I can tell this is going to be, you're going to be trouble this entire time. Maybe. She read Maybe. you like a book. <laughs> <laughs> I am a librarian. That is true. Um, before we get into the actual interview, uh, can you give us a little bit of your industry background? How did you, how did you get into this business? Well, I was uh, I came to Los Angeles as uh, an on-camera actor. I studied acting for a long time. I got... Uh, I'm a uh, Bachelor of Arts in theater, and then I got a Master of Fine Arts in acting at SMU in Texas, and I came out and did a season at uh, the Old Globe Theater, a summer season, which was just amazing. 
Um, and then came up to L.A. because I really, I love theater, but I really wanted to be on Star Trek. I've always been sort of a nerd. And once uh, Next Generation came out, I just thought, I've, I've got to be on Star Trek someday. So I came out here and I started doing a lot of on-camera work, a lot of B stuff. Uh, Xena Warrior Princess, Walker, Texas Ranger, Murder, She Wrote, and uh, was the victim and a lot of times always rescued by whomever, Scott Bakula and Quantum Leap. and. Uh, and I was doing a Xena in New, uh, New Zealand, and the horse I was being hanged on, a horse named Cher, uh, reared up and uh, fell on top of me and dislocated my kneecap. So I was kind of out of commission for a little while. So uh, a friend of mine, Peter Spellos, recommended me to this company, uh, Animes, uh, run by Kevin Seymour, and uh, Zero Limit Productions, run by Yutaka Maseba, uh, to do voiceover. So I started doing some stuff for them, and I uh, voice matched this one role for a, one of the leads in uh, El Hazard uh, couldn't uh, stick around, so I sort of was doing a Kate Mulgrew at the time, this sort of crazy voice, uh, and I just started working for them, and it's after a couple of years, they said, well, we've got too many shows and too few directors, so do you want to direct this new show for us? And I was terrified, and I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, so it was a show called Cowboy Bebop, and, and that was it. I was done with On Camera, and I knew that I, I wanted to direct and just do voiceover. Uh, before we get into the rest of that, because that sounds awesome, uh, you did eventually get on to Star Trek, though. I did. In fact, I was doing uh, El Hazard while I was doing the Kate Mulgrew role while when I got on uh, Voyager, and the last day of the shoot... I was in med lab and Kate Mulgrew came in and sat down and she goes, so how was your time on Voyager? And I was this close to saying it was wonderful, thank you so much. But I, <laughs> but I didn't. Uh, but yeah, I got to be sort of like this sea monkey type character that had somebody had exchanged souls with me and I was exchanged from another soul. So I was actually a man trapped inside me and the bad guy. Uh, it was great. It was really a lot of fun. Four hours of makeup every morning. And uh, the makeup artist had just won the Oscar for the Borg Queen from First Contact, I think was the, the movie. Um, so it was an honor. It was an amazing honor just to sit and talk with him every day. And uh, he gave me my prosthetic ears and forehead when I was done. So that was really exciting. So um, you're, you're, you're also, you mentioned Walker, Texas Ranger. I got to talk about that because Chuck Norris <laughs> is in it. <laughs> yes, um, and and you're singing in it as well. Uh, I know that you are a musician, and when you did that show, uh, obviously that must have come in handy. How was the experience working on that show? Well, it was fun. I uh, when I first came to LA, I was singing in clubs. There was a, a place called the Smokehouse that I used to sing in all the time. Uh, lots of standards, lots of sort of silly schlocky songs, and an unbelievable experience. It was so much fun. And I was you know going out on auditions, and uh, was also working up at Universal Studios in the Beetlejuice Rockin' Graveyard Review, uh, where I got to meet some amazing voiceover actors like Dee Bradley Baker and Wally Wingert, who's the voice of The Tonight Show, and Darren Norris, who's Fairly Odd Parents and Spotswood. And so it was a really good group there. And uh, I auditioned for Walker, Texas Ranger. I, I think I sang Amazing Grace, because I had already done a singing gig on uh, Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula. He leapt into Elvis Presley, and he saved this or helped this poor girl who was terrified to sing on stage. So I had just sung that on that show, so I figured, well, I'll just go in and sing that. And it just so happens I was in Bermuda for my cousin's wedding, 
And the first night I was there, we were just about to leave the hotel and the phone rang and it was my agent saying, you have to get on a plane tomorrow because you got the Walker Texas Ranger gig. So that was that. And Chuck was actually terrific. He was really fun. Uh, he was a very nice man, very professional. Uh, and it was great. I you know, worked during the week. I would come home on the weekends and record the songs and go back. And uh, thank God for cue cards because <laughs> I couldn't remember anything. It was kind of whirlwind, whirlwind. But it was really fun. It was a good experience. Um, now, obviously, we know Chuck Norris is kind of like a internet celebrity for or the randomest things. Did, yes. Did Do you ever like tell stories about him? Like, oh yeah, I worked on Walker Texas Ranger, and just like, oh yeah, he cured a blind man or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't. But you know what? I'm going to start doing that. For I'm sure. going to start doing that. Uh, yes, he went up to he floated up to the ISS recently. And uh, he fixed a number of the HD cameras that were on the outside of the International Space Station and held his breath the whole time. So, yeah, he's very talented. He is a talented, very talented Chuck man. Norris. Oh, that Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that brings us uh, back into voice directing. You, you mentioned Bebop. Yeah. But uh, walk us through that process. How, how did they approach you with the show? And, and how did it feel directing? For Was this your first time directing anything? Uh, no, it was my first time directing a show. I had done one Macross game before then. They kind of tried me out on that, and it was uh, an interesting process. Michael Lindsay was uh, one of the leads, and it was one of the games. Uh, a lot of the time when we do uh, adaptations, it, it we have to match the timing of the Japanese. And so a lot of the time uh, he had to say the word Roger, but it was in like 0.2 seconds because the Japanese timing was hi, and we had to be like, Roger. <laughs> it was just you had to say Roger, and he had to say it like five hundred times. Uh, so that was the first time that I had ever directed anything. And Utaka was there, and Kevin. Uh, they were both there holding holding my hand through the whole process. And then I don't even know. I had my last on camera audition, and it was for a semi celebrity at the time. And he was such a jerk. It was just the worst audition possible. And I. I remember coming home and sort of looking up and saying, look, I, I know I'm supposed to be here, but there's no way I'm supposed to be doing this. This is just miserable. This is sucking my soul from me. And I love this process. I love acting, but it's I'm not supposed to be doing this. So any sign you can give me, any nudge, any push, just let me know. And two days later, I got a call from Yutaka and Kevin on a group line, and they said, so... We've got this new show. You want to come and check it out? And I was terrified, you know, as we all have insecurities and fears. But man, the monkey on my shoulder was just screaming, "You're gonna fail!" And I said, "Well, in that case, I really have to do this." I mean, I directed some theater, but nothing like this, and certainly not uh, a series. So I went over to Yutaka's place, and Kevin was there, and they showed me that just the opening tank number, the opening song, uh, the, the the credits for Bebop. And I, I remember turning to Kevin and saying, why the hmm aren't you directing this? This looks amazing. And he was, I think he was getting ready to, he were gearing up for Ghost in the Shell and there just wasn't time for him. And he said, I just don't have time. So it's all yours. And they just left me alone. We had so much time and money. And I think the first actor I directed was Steve Bloom. And you know, to establish Spike with him was just, eh, it was just an amazing experience. And he's like, well, I'm not really an actor. And after the first couple lines, I was like, yes, you are. And don't ever say that again to me. Uh, just because you're not trained doesn't necessarily make you an actor. He just had a gift. He had a gift for the use of his, his instrument, this voice of his. And, and we just worked every day on tapping into all different levels of emotion and fun and 
developing Spike and then Bo came in and Wendy and I think Melissa was really the most fun uh, putting Ed together because we just played. It was just a constant experimentation to to make Ed fun and funny and quirky and weird and semi-androgynous and uh, it was just an amazing experience. We had so much time. They gave me like a week and a half to do three episodes. So I had about a day and a half at the end of recording to really fine tune everything and go through the session and pull out different takes and to see how everything plays off, uh, how the different actors played off each other. But I think as a director, you can see me grow throughout the 26 episodes. I think it's 26 episodes. Um, and the movie. Uh, yeah. Oh, and the movie. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a show. What a show. Yeah. yeah our Jose here is a big, big fan of Bebop. Yeah. Really? I'm yeah. I'm restraining my questions because I know it's Ghost in the Shell month, but we're gonna have you ha- have to have you back later for Bebop. Yeah, absolutely. We should get the cast together. It's uh, we've been doing uh, a Stephanie Shea set up after the tsunami hit Japan. Set up this foundation uh, called I Heart Japan, and we got the whole cast together. Uh, and we read uh, did a stage reading of Toys in the Attic, and uh, we've done that a couple times. And we're hope to we're hoping to actually get out there and do it more at conventions and just raise money for for different charities. And it's so great to get the gang back together because it's been it's been a long time since we did the show. We actually do have the first recording of you guys doing that because you also did it for Anime Fans Give Back. Yes. We haven't put it out yet. I have ah, it. Ah. Bad Jose. I know. Bad Jose. I've been, Bad Jose. What I've been, are you doing sitting on that? I'm, I've am i been working on a documentary in the meantime. So Ow. He's lying. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> He's lying. Hey, I don't lie, man. <laughs> I just extend the truth song. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the delay, but hopefully we'll have that out very soon. Uh, Zach, my producer, uh, one of the producers of that is probably glaring at me right now and being like, hey, get that out already. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That was that was really fun. We that said a- that to Steve Bloom a year ago. You did. <laughs> we did. And then the documentary got in the way. <laughs> Well, we'll have to, uh, when you do release it, or if you do release it, you should get some of us together and maybe we can help introduce it or something, or whatever you want. You know? Absolutely. Um, now, my last question about Bebop, out of so many. Uh, <laughs> Bebop is, you know, such an iconic show, and that dub, in particular, has been hailed as, you know, as good, if not better, than than the subtitle version. What is it about Bebop that you think works so well in the English language, and why do you think that your version of the dub holds up the way it does? Um, well, thank you very much. That's, that's a huge compliment. And, uh, I mean, to me, it was really, it was like it was our job not to screw it, or my job not to screw it up. You know, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the casting. Kevin and Yutaka did an amazing job with this cast. And then since I'd never directed, I didn't know any better, so I just wanted to make something that I really liked and I wanted to watch. And it's just, I think it's also the most westernized uh, anime that I've ever seen or series. I, I hate to even call it, you know, I think anime gets such a, a stigma uh, for, for something that it's not. I mean, it's such, it, the, the show was an amazing uh, combination of, of storytelling through uh, animation, through music, and through dialogue. Uh, and it was like every episode was sort of like a, a love letter to Watanabe-san's love letter to, for instance, science fiction, Toys in the Attic. It was like directing Alien in 2001. And then uh, Mushroom Samba was all about, you know, basically it was, you know, black exploitation movies. Um, so, and in the middle of all these great sort of, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, a homage to different genres was the story that un, you know underneath it you had you had vicious and you had spike and you had julia you had this trio that you never knew about you just heard glimpses of what had happened and you felt the impact of of what had happened but you never saw it so it was to created an unbelievable amount of mystery in the way that spike talked about Julia and, and the music and, and how Yoko Kano's music, which I still listen to all the time, uh, it was just a masterpiece. You know, I, I, I really think it, it's a very westernized, I mean, it's a spaghetti western in space. What's more American than that, you know? So Drinking beer and baseball. Drinking beer and baseball, my friend. Yeah, but for the nerds out there, it's spaghetti westerns and, you know, and sci-fi. So. Um, I, I guess, Darrell, I'll, I'll let you take number... Number four here. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, this for the Naruto and Bleach fans, you know, cause <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a big Naruto and Bleach fan, especially Bleach. Jose loves it too. Um, <laughs> what was it like um, doing long running series such as Naruto and Bleach though? Well, Naruto was great. I came in uh, on episode 20, uh, just about around 20. We were doing pickups for the end of the Haku Zabuza fight on the bridge and uh, I really started in uh, at the tuning exam and we just got our script for episode 499 so it's been almost nine years I think in this month it'll be nine years I came on midsummer there were about four other directors for the first 20 episodes and then I, I was brought in uh, on episode 20 or so and it's been amazing. It's it's just such a good show. The characters are so great. It's it's like Harry Potter, but in the ninja world. And you've got this real anti-hero, I think, with Naruto because he's such a goofball and an idiot. But he's got a heart that and a sense of loyalty that is so strong. And that's sort of the driving force as of his character. And and uh, it's a really honorable world that they've established in that respect. You know, he always believes in the best in people. Um, and he will come after you if you, you know, go after any of his friends, but he'll always believe in Sasuke. He'll never let up, you know, let go of this dream of, of the team getting back together and laughing and together again, you know, Kakashi, Sakura and, uh, and Sasuke again. So, so it's been an amazing experience. I, the, I remember the first session I had with Miley Flanagan, and, and she sort of looked at me sideways like, who are you, and what do you have, and what are you going to do? And, uh, and within the first two loops of recording, I feel like we just hit it off so well. And I just, I love Miley. She's, she's one of my closest friends uh, and one of the greatest women I've ever met. And uh, the whole cast is just filled with people that, I, that I'm so honored to work with. Um, Yuri Lowenthal, Kate Higgins, Crispin Freeman, Steve Bloom, uh, Bo Billingsley. It's like we, we're doing this arc now with the, the, all the Kage, and I'm trying to get the whole cast of Bebop in to play the different Kage. So we've got Bo Billingsley, you know, who played Jet and Bebop uh, as the Rai Kage, and Steve Bloom plays the Tsuchi Kage, and I play the Mizu Kage, and uh, Liam O'Brien, of course, plays Gara. So it's, uh, I'm trying to get as many in as possible to keep, keep the gang together. But it's been a great experience. Um, so Darrell wanted to know, uh, when you were first directing Bleach, uh, what, what were your first thoughts on that show? Cause you, you also directed that one. Well, I didn't direct all of Bleach. Uh, that was, uh, done by, I think Wendy Lee and Steve Kramer and now Susie Goldish. I would just sort of pinch hit when they needed people to go in, uh, when the other directors weren't available or, 
Uh, so I definitely did not direct uh, all or most of Bleach. That was done beautifully by, by some other very, very talented people. Now, uh, I guess the next thing we want to ask about, because we're talking about voice acting, but obviously you prefer voice acting, so that kind of answers that question. But uh, uh, To what? Uh, to, as opposed to on camera? As opposed to on camera. I, yeah. But uh, my, my question was, you know, which one do you prefer and which one do you think is, is more difficult? Which one takes more uh, effort? Well, I think it's a different set of skills. I think voice acting is is very different because you can't rely on your body. You can't rely on an eyebrow arch. You've got to put that in the voice. So you've got to establish uh, a full, fully rendered character only through your voice and through your imagination and the limitations that you have uh, vocally. Um, so I think that's an amazing skill and the people that do it really well do it all the time because it is so difficult. And, uh, the, you know, people like John DiMaggio, Gray Delisle, Tara Strong, Kevin Michael Richardson, all the people on Naruto, I mean, and, uh, and Cowboy Bebop. I mean, these are all seasoned, incredible voice actors. There's, uh, John DiMaggio, uh, produced an amazing documentary called I Know That Voice. And it goes all the way back to uh, June Foray, to Mel Blanc, up to today, uh, and into the gaming world as well, and introducing uh, the whole, there's a whole new genre, well, a whole new uh, world of, of video game acting, which is now cinematic and real, and, you know, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson and Laura Bailey and Travis Willingham, I mean, these are people that are, you know, forging the way to a whole new part of the industry, which is kind of fantastic. Um, on-camera acting is, you know, depending on the budget, for me it was always uh, you get there and you wait around for eight hours and then you go in there and they say, so we're running a page and a half behind, so uh, hit your mark and this is your mark and let's go and it says we're just going to record, you know, we're going to tape the rehearsal and off we go. So I, I felt like it was much less of the creative process was very different for me and coming from theater, I like rehearsal, I like, you know, in-depth character development. So. Um, I, I, it wasn't satisfying for me. I, I thought it would be. I was really hoping it would be, but it just turned out to be something different uh, than I had anticipated, and uh, I didn't like it as much. And the minute I started doing voiceover, it's this incredibly intimate relationship between you and the director and the engineer and the producers, and I, uh, I really liked that. Plus, I find that I can't memorize anything anymore, including <laughs> song lyrics. Like, I just did two concerts in Mexico with Akira Yamaoka for the Silent Hill series, and... Shadows of the Damned and Julia X, and I had to have an iPad on stage because I cannot memorize anything anymore. So, a uh, very different set of skills. It's interesting that you say it like that because I, I, I work in the industry. I work, I work on commercials and I've worked on films and stuff like that. And, you know, I always see actors like just buried in the script, and, but unfortunately we have to tell them like, okay, you got to sit down. We're not ready for you yet, and it yeah. it does kind of break my heart when you know you have to tell an actor that like sorry we're we're not ready, yeah. But you know the thing I, I've never heard someone actually say like you know oh I don't I don't get to develop time with the director to to create this role, so I I, I think that's very interesting that you do have the time I guess in, in voice acting. Yeah, I guess it's it's a real. I just think because the director in on camera has so many things that so many plates that he needs to spin at once between the sounds, the lighting, getting the angles that he wants, making sure the tracks are working, and you've got the handheld, you've got so many different things. And when you come into so a lot of the times he's he's relying on you to do the work. So maybe I'm just sort of 
lazy and dependent uh, that way because I really like the conversation of, all right, what are we doing here and what's happening and how would my, act, would my character feel about this? And sometimes you just don't have the luxury to develop that. I'm sure on the big movies and on a lot of TV shows, there is time for rehearsal and there is time to really flesh out a character with the director uh, and the other actors. Uh, I just never had that experience for whatever reason. So I don't begrudge anybody that does it. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed and in awe whenever I go see a movie. Uh, and it actually has, since I got out of the on-camera stuff, I find that I enjoy, uh, I enjoy movies so much more and I enjoy great television so much more now because I'm not thinking about, oh, I should have gone out for that or, or whatever. Now I can just sit and watch Hannibal and just be amazed at, at some unbelievable in Game of Thrones. And uh, I, I find I'm a much better spectator in that respect. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't turn my brain off when I watch those shows. I'm like, how did they achieve that shot? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's still there, but it's nowhere near as... And I'm older now, you know, so it's... I've been in the business for a while now, so I can I can just really appreciate the work that goes into it, uh, but also just sit back and enjoy the ride, because that's what it's for, you know. you got to enjoy the ride, right? Right. Uh, now, obviously, we've been talking about music for a bit, and the mm. thing I, I hear from a lot of voice actors is that music helps with the rhythm. Do you find that to be true with with anime dubbing or just voice acting in general? No, I think, uh, well, the key to anything is is listening and responding. I mean, you've got to, before you even become, uh, a mus being a musician is invaluable, I think, especially with anime, because uh, we tend to preview uh, for timing, and it is all about timing. Uh, to make sure that you can fit the line in in this you know specific amount of of uh, of time, basically. So if we preview something, and if you're a musician, you can get a real meter, a, a feeling for the meter, a feeling for the timing, and when we roll, you'll have an idea of how long it takes you know to throw down the line and makes you know get close enough to sync it so that we can squeeze it in there or stretch it if need be. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the best people I think in in definitely in uh, in dubbing are musicians. They've just got a real ear for uh, for the timing of things. So, yeah. All right. Um, and last one, and I think we're going to go ahead and get into Ghost in the Shell finally. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, how do you think you stand out compared to most directors? What do you bring that, that a lot of directors maybe don't, don't do at, at the booth? Uh, I can belch on command. Uh, Sweet. Really good at that. I have a... Well, I'd say I am blue, blue, blue when it comes to comedy, but a lot of us are. So, you know what? I have no idea. I think uh, being an actor really helps. Uh, I have a real passion for what I do, and I know all the other directors do as well. Um, I, to be honest, I, I don't know. I love what I do. I hope that shows, and I, I hope I can create a, a conversation with the actors to get them to a place without doing line reads. I do it sometimes. Uh, I don't like it. Um, uh, I don't know. I think you'd have to ask the other. Um, I'm not very good at promoting myself, so I, mean, I think you'd have to ask the other actors. I know that we have fun. I try and create a really fun environment, as all the other directors do. I would think just because I find that people are more creative when they're relaxed and when they're having a good time, they feel like they can take risks and uh, risk failure uh, or risk doing a, a wrong read or just have the freedom to surprise themselves as well as, you know, surprise me. So it's, uh, to me, it's just, I love the intimacy of the, of the whole experience. And, uh, I just, 
yeah, I, I, I don't know. Ask them. I have no idea. All right, I'll call Richard. <laughs> Hang on. It, it, it's okay. <laughs> you have me at Belch on command, and you work in the blue. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So um, we're, we're coming into Ghost in the Shell. What did you know about it before auditioning, uh, how, and how did that audition process work? Well, um, I... I had seen the movie and I remember, and that is one instance where I saw the movie and thought to myself, I would have loved to have gone out for that part as a voiceover actor. But when it was being done, I wasn't even doing voiceover then. I was still doing on camera. So it was an amazing, amazing, amazing movie to me. I just thought the animation and the science behind it and the world that was created and Yoko Kano's music and Richard Epcar as Bato and I loved Tom Weiner is the puppet master. He was one of my, you know, favorite voices out there. Um, so, and to be honest, I don't remember the audition. I'm not sure that I did. I, I guess I must have, but I just remember being at a wine tasting at this restaurant, and I got a a, a call from Kevin and uh, Yutaka, and it was mid, you know, it was, it was a work week, but it was like they, they have wine tastings at this thing, so I was at the wine tasting, and I got the call saying, would you like to play Motoko in Ghost in the Shell? And I just sort of screamed and said, yes. So I'm sure I must have auditioned. I just don't remember doing it, <laughs> um, which is stupid because I remember all the other auditions that I have. But I don't remember Ghost in the Shell. It's okay. Reason. It was just the wine. <laughs> it was the wine. No, but I, I didn't drink wine before the audition. <laughs> I, just, I would have. <laughs> hey, hey, Bacho, go get the sauce <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, the first movie, and that was the original Motoko Kusanagi was Mimi Woods. What yes. was it like to step into that role after she had already done it? Well, I I kind of approached it as that's Mimi did what she did, and I am in nothing but awe of what she did. But I just wanted to make sure that I was bringing my own, like I wanted it to make, I wanted to make her my own, uh, and pay, you know, homage to what Mimi had done, which is fantastic. Uh, but I knew that she was slightly different. Um, we played her maybe with a little bit more emotion, a little more of the humanity inside of her, uh, as opposed to just, um, I, I'm, I think she was a little more detached than I ended up playing her. Um, but I don't know. I think that that's for other people to, to judge. Uh, I, I, as any actor that takes over a role for someone else, you want it to be similar, but you also need to bring, just naturally you're going to bring something different because you're a different actor uh, and you're a different you know being than this other person. So... Uh, of course, I wanted to be respectful of her performance and of what the fans had enjoyed so much, and rightfully so, about what she did. But I also knew that this was a, a more fleshed-out version, <laughs> according to phrase, uh, <laughs> of of her cybernetic being and uh, and the struggles that she was going to go through. We were going to get much more in depth with. So I knew that it, I would start off using her as a, as a springboard, and then I would dive into the net my own way eventually. Um. Now, when you became Motoko, like, obviously you'd seen the movie, but did you have any idea how big of a role this was going to be later on? 
No, I mean, I just assumed she was, uh, she's in Section 9 and she's sort of the captain of Section 9. I mean, you know, Aramaki is the leader and she's sort of the head of Get Out There with Bato. So I figured she'd be in every episode. But I, I, I didn't realize, I knew it was going to have a huge effect on me as, as an actor and I knew it was going to have a huge effect on my career. But I didn't know, I didn't know how much until it actually happened until it you know it came out and and as we did the series more and more and more and I realized wow this is something really really special I, I better not screw this up <laughs> now um as an unfortunate reality uh but with so many women few women so few women who have lead roles in in series what was it like to have your own spotlight on this show well, it was it was pretty amazing, but you know, it's I always saw it as as Section Nine. I, I knew Motoko was the was sort of the driving force through this, but there's you know Togusa and Saito and everybody else that it was it was always a team. There was always this sense of team, and we went out together, and then she would go off on her own. But at the end of the day, she had such a an amazing support of this team around her that I often felt, I mean, there are a number of episodes where this is Bato's story, this isn't mine, this is Bato's, this is Togus's. Togus is going through something completely different than, than the rest of us. So, uh, but as a woman, to be sort of the, the lead female on the show and that she was really the only female uh, in this team, it was, uh, it, was, it was exciting and slightly daunting at the same time. I knew, because not that many roles, not that many sort of... Uh, Leads, uh, lead characters have my vocal range, um, especially in anime. It's usually something much higher, uh, uh, more of an ingenue character, uh, much younger. So to have someone that was her age range and her vocal quality uh, and the struggles that she was going through internally, emotionally, everything else uh, was amazing and I just sort of had to put that on the back burner and say don't think about that just tell the story you know tell her story as best as possible and tell you know support everybody else's story um now this is kind of a bigger picture question with why do you think there are so many few or so few I should say women heroes in in any media I feel like the number is way way too much on the male side or it's not balanced I should say Hmm. I don't know who is it. Kate Blanchett, who won this year for uh, and said the women's stories matter, and people go to see women's stories, so make more stories about women. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I uh, I don't know. Uh, it's this is a man's world, baby. I have no idea. You know, it's just I I, I think they think that. Um, oh shit! I don't know. I really don't know. I, I wish <laughs> I, I wish that they would take the take the chance to know that there are stories that don't have to revolve around, you know, women finding a man uh, and or finding love or uh, that there are other very, you know, serious issues that we are, that we go through as women that, that are great stories that uh, are not specific only to women. They're specific to us as, as, a, as a race, as, you know, as human beings, you know, as a species. So uh, I don't know. They'll, they'll, well, hopefully they'll they'll continue to make more and more uh, stories about women and about what we're going through and and how we are influencing the world around us. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that's a good answer. We want. It's we want... a bullshit answer. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's okay. You know, if you kind of look at it like with gender roles and everything in society, you know. 
my, you know, speaking from a male's point of view, you know, they always see the woman as being, you know, the victim and the heron, you know, somebody want to be Captain Save a Hope. Let me just be real about that. You know, it ain't yeah. always about that because it really is some women that kick ass like my mom. So yeah. <laughs> I get where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, we don't always have to be rescued and we don't always have to be played by victim or played as victims. It drove me crazy. Every role I was going for, I was like rescued by Lorenzo Lamas, I rescued by Scott Bakula, rescued by Chuck Norris. And after a while I was like, God, I'm, I can't stand this. You know, women don't have to be rescued all the time. We can be the rescuers. We can be the ones that go out, you know, the, the, the amount of, of emotional support that's given by any woman on any given day is so huge to the people around them that why is that not something that is that is perceived as a strength you know I uh, I don't know sorry turn off my computer there uh, I just I don't I don't get it I, I don't get it but I, I think that a lot of the times the, the, the movies are funded by men and uh, the studio just thinks that you're not gonna get the teenage boys into the movie theater, unless you've got giant robots, which I love, don't get me wrong, uh, or Nicolas Cage taking down a plane. You know, it's just, I, I understand it's about profit. I completely understand it's about profit. And I'm hoping now with the, you know, the surge of indie films and people making movies on the internet and everything else that, that different stories can be told that will still be profitable, uh, that don't necessarily have to be about, you know, transforming CGI throwing up on the screen. So. Now, uh, Bring this back down. <laughs> I'd like to bring the room down a little bit more, if that's entirely possible. Um, let's uh, let, let's get into the other let's get into the other cast, uh, specifically Richard Epgar and William Knight, who are coming back from the old movie. What was it like uh, with them being kind of the veterans? I, I know that voice actors don't typically record together, but did you run into those guys? Did they tell you stories about the original Ghost of the Shell or anything like that? Um, well, Richard and I were doing wine tastings together at the time, so we, um, we not that night, but other times. Um, so I had known Richard for a while, and I knew that he was in this, and we talked about Ghost in the Shell before I ever knew that the series was going to be a reality. So I talked to him a while. I did not meet Bill until the show, and even then I'm not sure that I met him. I think I might have met him on Cowboy Bebop, uh, but... Otherwise, because it is a, a one actor at a time situation, so I um, I didn't really get to meet them all that often. I got to hear them and listen to them, and I loved listening to Bill. And they'd play me outtakes all the time of us trying to pronounce these these <laughs> sujisaki was a, a great thing that just would hit everybody. It became everybody's Waterloo because nobody could say sujisaki. Um, so, but. They were these amazing actors, amazing, and they are amazing actors. I, you know, Bill is on Naruto; he plays Danzo, and Richard is on Naruto; he, he plays Hanzo. So it's um, these are people that I still continue to work with and and learn from. And at the time, I just thought, well, hell, they know the world, and I don't, so I'm just gonna follow their lead and uh, add in where I can. You know. Now uh, the other person we have to talk about, who also comes from the original Ghost in the Shell, is Kevin Seymour. Yes. Um, now, when, I, I think we may have talked about this a little bit, but when did you actually first meet him? I met him, uh, I think, on El Hazard. I think they brought me in. Uh, that's the first real role I had, um, the diva, the queen of the Bugram Empire. And I think I, that's where I met Kevin. 
Uh, and it just seemed like he was always there after that. Like he was always in my life, uh, playing music and being supportive. And we would help each other out with, uh, you know, he'd call me late at night and we have these long conversations about whatever we were working on or whatever I was going to do the next day. And, uh, we talk about cats all the time because he has this amazing cat and I'm a huge cat person. And, uh, and I just learned, I learned so much from him about how to do this. And he recently passed away, and it's just such a huge loss. And he was so shy, and we had this great memorial uh, set up by Mary Claypool and Leah Sargent and Joe Ramersa. And, uh, and I know he would have hated it because we did nothing but sit around and talk about Kevin, and he would have hated it. But I'm just so glad to get everybody together again. There was so much love for him, and I'm not, I hope that he knew that, and I hope he did. Um, now what was, what was his directing style like when, when you were in the booth, you know, how did, how did he speak to you? Well, I think he, because we, we were all sort of musicians and musical people and we'd preview everything beforehand. Uh, and I rely a lot on the Japanese I sort of use as a soundtrack and it, 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 it feeds my intention. Uh, I don't speak Japanese, but you can understand intention if it's, it's clear in any language. So I would use that to sort of give me the base of uh, what was going on emotionally or uh, in terms of intention. And then Kevin would just help me out, of course, with that and give me the plot and uh, give me context for where we were and let me give alternate takes if I needed to. We would have discussions about the line, about the science. There was so much science. I had no idea. One of my favorite uh, <laughs> outtakes was I get some crazy, stupid technical line and it was just a paragraph of techno jargon, and I didn't get one minute of it. So I just sort of did the Eddie Izzard. It's 90% or 10% what you say and 90% how you say it. So I was just like, I'm going to let my intention be really clear at this point. And at the end of it, I said, and if you can explain to me what the hell I just said, I'll go down on you. Because I had no clue <laughs> whatsoever. So Kevin would save that and play that for me all the time. So that was nice. <laughs> Um, now, what, what were some memories about, you know, maybe working in the booth uh, besides that one, but uh, gits or otherwise with him? Oh, Kevin just had music. He was he was just he knew every every single piece of music uh, and he would figure out what you liked and he would play it for you in between takes when they were editing, when they were switching episodes. Uh, he was so conscious of you and keeping you happy and, and connected and, and, uh, and creative. Um, and he would find these amazing, you know, pictures and, and put them up on the screen. And, uh, and I just, I loved talking to him. I just loved talking to him about everything. He was, uh, he was a really interesting guy, really interesting guy. So, um, now one of the more interesting parts of, uh, Ghost in the Shell's dubbing history is that Innocence has been dubbed twice, once by Richard and once by Kevin. Yeah. Uh, what was it like to redub, to, to come into the first time with someone else directing Ghost in the Shell? And then what was it like coming back to dub it again with a slightly different script? Well, uh, to be honest, I still have no idea what that movie's about. I watched it three times, subtitled, and I had to pause the subtitles when uh, when Togusa and Bato were going through that loop uh, of just repeating over and over. And I was like, I have no idea what they're doing. I don't understand this at all. So I was very grateful to just sort of come in at the end of the movie uh, as a character and uh, sort of show up near the end so that I, I didn't have to make sense of what the hell was going on the rest of the time. 
uh, I think Richard, and he'll correct me, I, I hope, because I may get this wrong. Richard did it for either England or Australia. He did and it then, for Manga UK. Yes, for UK. Uh, and I think he went in there and I think he got to do Bateau a, a specific way. Maybe he wasn't able to do with somebody else at the helm. And then uh, and I know Crispin Freeman was instrumental in getting all the mythology and understanding what the heck was going on uh, in the script itself. Uh, and then to go back in and, and do it with Utaka and, uh, and Kevin uh, was also really rewarding. It was like, you know, it was some time had passed, so I had a slightly better understanding of, of the little that I did understand of what was going on. Um, so it was, it was two very different experiences. But uh, but I enjoyed both of them, and I, I'm, I'd be interested to see them back-to-back -to, -back to see if I was different at all <laughs> in the performances. Um, well, they're both good, by the way. I oh, guess. good. Good, good. Um, now, let's let's actually talk about Bato a little bit, because Bato is clearly a, an important part of Motoko's life. How do, you, how do you perceive their relationship between each other? Oh, I think Bato is always the yin to her yang. You know, I just think in the brother that uh, he always uh, wanted her and she just saw him as this amazing human being, but never anything more than uh, than that. You know, someone should... Friend zone. Mm -hmm. What, what so... are you singing? He got put in the friend zone, man. Oh, friend zone. Yeah, put in the friend zone, <laughs> most definitely. You know, I think she had, she was on a very different plane of existence. Uh, she was ready to let go of uh, of humanity of, and dive into the net and figure out what the next plane of, of existence is, you know, for her as a, as a human being, as, as a, a spiritual being, as uh, just a basically energy, I think. And then Bato was so, I mean, that beautiful dog and he was, he was the emotion. He was, he was the, the yin to her yang in terms of emotion. He had all of it and she had almost none of it. Um, and subsequently, I think she experienced a lot of that emotion through him and observed that uh, and used that as uh, uh, a jumping off point in terms of whether or not she wanted to stick around, you know, and um, if, does that make sense? Yes, it actually yes. makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, now, Ghost in the Shell, of course, has a lot of technology in it and tons of stuff yeah. going on. Yes. <laughs> but the thing that... You know, I, I've noticed is that innovations like Google Glass and our smartphones and you hear stories like that whole NSA scandal. Does it seem to you like Ghost of Shell is becoming even more relevant than even before? Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. 100%. But this, I mean, Ghost in the Shell is is uh, derivative of so many things before it. I mean, I think a lot of NASA based its technology on Star Trek, you know, and, and subsequently that, that that's the scientists are are... Uh, trying to catch up with the creative minds behind the greatest science fiction that's out there. I mean, it seems to me like sci-fi creators now are are, are making things uh, creatively that that could conceivably and logically potentially exist. We just don't have the technology for it yet. So you get some brilliant scientist that watches this and says, "Oh, okay." Yes, we can put something inside your eardrum, attach it to a certain point inside your, uh, in, in, in your brain, and you will be able to hear again uh, for the first time in your life even. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, all of science fiction, uh, that we're just trying to catch up scientifically at this point in terms of what's been created 
by the by the writers, you know. Now, I don't I don't want to get too political, but in regards to the NSA scandal, there's an eerie parallel to what the folks on Ghost in the Shell do, to what Section Nine does. Um, and I I think it's an interesting question. Do you think Section Nine is actually the good guys, or you know, as, as maybe an outside observer? I think Section Nine has no uh, emotional ties to anything. I think they are there to do their job, and that if you start putting morality into it, you can't do your job anymore. For for Section Nine, I don't believe in that personally, but it's just this is the job. This is what we do. We have to get it done. So, uh, and I think that the times when the morality would come into play uh, is when everything would get screwed up or, or that's the humanity coming into play. So there's, it raises the question, uh, of because you were told to do this, is it, is it morally right? Is it ethic ethically right to do it just because you've been told to? It's like, uh, well, it's like Jurassic Park, you know, just because you can do this and you can clone these beings, does it mean that you should? You know, it's it's uh, it's a uh, to me. It's always about sort of morality and, and ethics. Uh, and at what point do we draw the line and say this is wrong? Just because we can do this, uh, does it mean that we should? You know, and the NSA, of course, is there to protect us and everything else. But it's it's also infringing on a lot of our basic uh, what we consider to be uh, liberties and uh, and privacy issues and. Um, you know, but I think anybody that doesn't think that we're being spied on at all times, not to be, you know, a conspiracy theorist, but basically if you want to be found, they'll find you, you know, I, I, I think. Um, between iPhones, find my iPhone and everything else, you, you can be you can be found. So, yeah. So, NSA, if you're listening, please don't release this episode before we do. <laughs> this will be public so i know i always used to hear this i pick up the phone and i hear, hear the static on the other line or in mid-conversation and i would always be like hi dick cheney how are you you know oh that was just jonesy and the crew uh-huh right um and i guess we're getting to our last question and we do i think we have a couple of fan questions i'll have to go look them up we sure. do have a couple um Arise is still going strong. Ghost in the Shell as a franchise as a whole is 25 years old. Why do you think this franchise just keeps coming back? Well, because we haven't caught up technologically. There's still a lot more. It's still the future. So there's still a lot of stories to be told, I think. Uh, and because they are political and they are, uh, they do tend to mirror what's going on in our own society, uh, that I think it's still relevant uh, and that it always will be. I think that's why good storytelling is relevant because we still haven't figured this stuff out yet, you know. So it's there's still stories to be told and, and we should continue to tell the stories until we do figure it out, you know. Otherwise, we'll end up repeating everything that we do over and over again, you know. Um, and I, I kind of have to ask because if not, people are going to yell at me. Um, <laughs> I know that Funimation has a rise. They have yes. a new Ghost in the Shell. Yes. Have you heard anything about maybe bringing the old dad and back together or recording it in L.A. instead of Texas? Um, I don't think they'll record it in Los Angeles. Uh, I checked out the trailer and it seems to me that there is a different actress playing Motoko in Japan. So uh, I don't know. I, I have absolutely no idea. What I do know is that Funimation is a great company and the people there... Uh, will treat it with such respect and love, and they will make it amazing. I mean, I, of course, I would love to work on it. 
but if I'm not on it as Motoko, then I will support whoever is playing Motoko wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. I mean, I, I know the nature of the industry. I also know that it's a prequel, and they may want a different actress to play it. So if they do, then, then I will wish them nothing but love and support because they're great people that work there, and, and they've, they've sent us some unbelievable actors that are now skyrocketing in this industry. Laura Bailey, Travis Willingham, Troy Baker, uh, Kyle Hebert. I mean, there's Todd Habercorn unbelievable actors and I'm just I'm grateful I'm grateful to them so uh, if we don't get it or if I don't get to do it then I would be sad but you know what it's the nature of the business and I just hope that they and I have faith that they will do an amazing job with it all right um, and fan questions I just took a look at them they're very similar to the questions we just asked so great minds think of like everybody <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess you know, before we go, I, I, I said this to Richard last week, um, and I, I I would love to get your support on this. Sure. Um, if if you guys don't come back on, on Arise, um, I still think that no matter what, Funimation should dedicate the English dub version of Arise to Kevin Seymour. Because without Kevin, oh. there is no franchise here in the States. I agree. I completely agree. I think that would be wonderful. Um, and that would be a wonderful thing for them to do. They don't have any connection to Kevin, so that would be an, an, an amazing thing uh, for them to uh, to honor and uh, and pay tribute to Kev because yeah, he's he was the force behind it, one hundred percent, and Utaka, but it was Kevin's it was Kevin's baby. Right. So, Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, um, it's my pleasure. Sorry if I got too deep and serious there for a minute. Oh Wait, no, we love deep and serious. Wait, I'll uh, I'll do something. I'll uh. there we go. See? Sweet on cue. Yes, classy broad. Jersey lives. Woo! Oh yes, you are so classy. <laughs> very very classy. We oh, needed yeah. to class up the show. Darrell was bringing us down. I know, man. You know, I just normally just oh, I'm just so sophisticated at times. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> and I was drinking the whole time, Jose. Ah, uh, quiet. <laughs> Glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear your mom kicks ass, too. Yes, yeah. she does. All righty. Uh, that's it. Stay tuned for the rest of the show, everybody. Mary, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks so much, you guys.
And we're back, guys. Um, that was a good interview. Uh, Jose and Darrell did a very good job, obviously. He has well, no idea. Sometimes, he hasn't actually sometimes, heard it. You know, I haven't actually heard it, but Darrell sometimes does a good Interview. <laughs> <laughs> interview, review, whatever. I'm tired. I don't give a shit. Um, but, uh, you know, it's time to get out of here. So, um, But before we do that, um, we want to remind you there's uh, three ways to uh, help us uh, do the things that we do for you uh, when we go to cons and try to get the most interviews that we can. Um, we have podcast t-shirts, the Tsunami Faithful podcast t-shirt. You can get those at tsunamifaithful.bandcamp.com. Uh, they come in three different sizes, medium, large, and extra large, and they're only $10. Uh, and you also get a free download of Nerdcore Absolution. So I would go there, get it now, because, hey, it helps us, and you get to get better content because of it. Uh, if you don't want anything for donating, you can go to uh, tsunamifaithful.com slash donate. Um, there we just have a donate button, and you can just donate whatever you want. It could be a dollar. It could be a $100. Um, but you won't get anything for it. And if we see a large amount, we may try to do something for you, but there's no guarantees here. Okay. So, uh, again, it's tsunamifaithful.com slash donate. Or if you're on tsunamifaithful.com itself, you can just hit the uh, donate link at the top. And then um, the other thing is, is we have uh, shirts on redbubble.com. Uh, if you go to redbubble.com and you search the word tsunami, um, you'll see two shirts from us. One is uh, the, the old tsunamifaithful.com logo. Uh, you can get it in different colors uh, as well as different sizes, obviously. And uh, same thing with we have another shirt that says I am a Tsunami Faithful. Um, that is yeah, That comes in different colors as well. So um, go get your shirts now if you want. Um, they are a lot more expensive just because of the fact that you can get them in different colors. So and that's the, I can't make them any lower because we don't make anything if I do that. So I ho I give you the floor, Jose. <clears throat> uh, speaking of begging for money, uh, we are <laughs> we are having an Indiegogo to make our Momocon coverage even better. Uh, specifically, we want to get an extra camera. If you would like to donate, and as of this recording, uh, we're about 10 days away by the time you probably hear this, um, and we're not even halfway there. So uh, if you want to donate, now's the time, igg.me slash at slash Toonami Faithful. One more time, that's igg.me slash at slash Toonami Faithful. Please donate what you can. Uh, he, I, I do have to put a little bit of a, a disclaimer as well, because one of our perks is very reliant on if we make our full amount. If we don't make our full amount, we can't do it, uh, which is the behind-the-scenes video. If we cannot... If, first off, we get paid no matter what. Right. Uh, we will... We will we will get the money, uh, whatever amount it is. But if we do not make the full amount, we cannot rent the camera. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. If we don't make our full amount, we are going to use that money for other purposes. We are going to use it for uh, possibly future con travel or future future equipment that we can maybe use. Uh, save it up towards actually buying a camera or whatever. But if, if we can't get the money, we are going to use it for something else and it's going to be worthwhile we promise uh but we can't make the behind the scenes video that one's completely reliant on um on us making our goal if we don't make it we can't make it right so uh donate what you can we really really appreciate any and all help you can give us uh and without further ado let's 
tell you what you can do so you can help support our show in non-monetary ways. <laughs> if we haven't asked you for money enough tonight. Yeah. Uh, please rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and Stitcher. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Toonami Podcast, and follow our Tumblr account at ToonamiFaithfulOfficial.tumblr.com. Also, please visit podcast.toonamifaithful.com for all the old episodes of the podcast. Before we sign off completely, Ghost in the Shell Month is going to continue next week, but without a guest. We are going to discuss it. We're just going to discuss the show, and that'll kind of be the end of Ghost in the Shell Month. We're going to cut it short for Momocon. But we do have a guest next week. We do have a guest. And I'm very excited to announce that near future, a.k.a. Ben Lovett, Toonami music artist, will be on the show next week. He's going to talk all about working on Toonami's music building the sounds that you love and know today. Um, so we're very excited and looking forward to that very much. Please send in any questions you might have to at, uh, hashtag Toonami Talkback. And uh, we look forward to it, man. Uh, but because this guy is very busy and he's actually coming, he's literally going to be doing the interview after he comes back from being overseas. So... Oh. Uh, we're accommodating him. The episode next week is going to come out on Thursday. So we're sorry. We know that's a little bit longer than you guys would like, but we wanted to accommodate our guest. And, and I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I yeah. think it's totally worth it. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're not going to be like completing the podcast and then driving up to Momocon, are you? Oh, shit. Is that what it is? <laughs> you didn't think about that, did you? <laughs> no, wait. No, that's not next week. Uh, uh, I don't think it is. I think you're wrong on that one. No, it is next oh, week. Oh, shit, it is next week. <laughs> no, the 20th. Uh, well, see, the Thursday Thursday is the 22nd. Whatever, so I will to... figure it out. <laughs> All night driving for Jose. <laughs> I will edit and <laughs> I'll figure this out. It'll happen. But uh, look for it latest on Thursday. Uh, also, while we're at Momocon, we will have a show. Um, we may not be doing it. Uh, Sketch and Darrell will probably take over the show for the week so that we stay on track for our 100th episode in June. Yeah, uh, bitches. So thank you for that. And, um, uh, and maybe Zach as well. I'm not sure. Well, we haven't, we haven't asked them if they could do it, but no. <laughs> we'll, we're going to uh, force them to do it. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll make sure that there's some kind of episode out so that. If we have to do it for Momocon, we fucking will. But I hope we don't because we have enough work to do. Anyways. Yes. So that's what's coming up on the show. Uh, I guess without further ado, we can go ahead and sign off. Darrell, where can they find you, buddy? Uh, you can find me at Darrell Maddox at ToonamiFaithful.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Ukami underscore Samurai 7 at Twitter.com. And if you want to tumble with me, you can do that at Ukami Samurai 7.tumblr.com. And uh, he's not here, but he was. Sketch, you can follow him on Twitter at Sketch1984. Yes. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at J-E-A-R-G-U-M-E-D-O. That's J-E-R-G-U-M-E-D-O. Same thing on Tumblr, J-E-A-R-G-U-M-E-D-O.tumblr.com. And finally, uh, you can also send me any emails at J-E-A-R-G-U-M-E-D-O at ToonamiFaithful.com. Thanks again for being the best audience in the world. And I'll see you next week. Paul, where can they find you? All right. Well, you can find me at Paul Pascrillo on Twitter. That's P-E-S-C-R-I-L-O. You can also find me on Tumblr. It's uh, paulpascrillo.tumblr.com. 
And if uh, you want to ask me questions, it's uh, ask.fm slash Paul Pasquillo. So those are where you can find me. And I am back. And I know some of you have seen me on Twitter being depressed. So thank you for your uh, positivity. Uh, This is probably going to be the the last podcast I'm going to be on until Momocon. So I will see all of you that are going there. But that's it for this week's Tsunami Faithful Podcast. We certainly hope you enjoyed. But peace. One last thing before you sign off. This oh, week's fucker. sorry. <laughs> uh, this this week's variant cover was done by a very talented Mr. Steve Yurko of the One Piece podcast. So please thank him for drawing that picture for us. Uh, it's really awesome, and we did show it to Mary. She loves it. Thanks, Steve. All right, now you can sign us off. Sorry, st- sorry, Paul. <sighs> All right, well, that's it for this week, I hope, of <laughs> the Toonami Faithful Podcast. Uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed listening, but we're out. Peace. Deuces! Wait, one last thing. I'm fucking around. <laughs> I hate you. That's awesome. That's the take. Woo! All right. One last thing before you go, because I just got this today, and I have to show it to you. Sure. Give me two seconds. I think you're going to like it. Mm. And see, normally I'm the one that really, really gives Jose the pain in the ass, because I normally do everything bad. Yes. So I was actually on my best behavior for once. Oh, that's so nice, but you did not have to censor yourself because of me. That's that's for sure. Hope you didn't I hear was... all that. <laughs> no. Oh, no, I heard it all. Jose. Oh, did you punch your secret porno stash? No, 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 no. Dear God, no. <laughs> anyway, you know he did. Turn my yeah, camera on. No, that would be weird if I was going to show you that. Yeah, Hi. Hey. Hi. So nice to put a face to the voice. Yeah. I just realized I could turn on the camera in a group call because usually we don't do that. But first yeah, off, this... Ah, oh, very nice. Yep. I also got Bato back there, but he's the wrong one. And and the other Motoko. But that's not uh, what I wanted I... to show you, because I just got this today, and it's actually going to be the cover for this week's episode. We got all three oh. of Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. That's so cool. One of our friends actually uh, drew this for this week's episode. Mm-hmm. So, that's fantastic. Awesome. I just wanted to show you that. <laughs>